This weekly broadcast is an in-depth study of Leviticus and is presented to you by Cornerstone Bible Center in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. You can email us at indepthbibleteaching at yahoo.com. And now, here's our teacher, Alex Del Percio. Rivers of living water. Let's turn to uh, Leviticus chapter 1. Now, we've been looking at the burnt offering for two or three weeks now. We want to conclude today with that and start next week with the uh, meal offering. But remember this, that when the Israelites would bring an offering, as I've said before, there were certain things that they had to do. Uh, They were required to do certain things. The offering had to be correct. Now, as I was looking through this again, The question came because there's going to be an overlap today with last week and the week before, um, in particular last week, some of the things we talked about. But what are the essential elements involved in an effectual offering? Now, they're found in four verses in the first chapter, verse 3, 4, 5, and 9, and we're going to look at those uh, in a minute. I pulled this here last week and never used it, but that's okay. I want, it, I want it ready in case I need to write. Now, if I were to ask you, give me one thing uh, the last two or three weeks that you learned as far as the offering, I'm sure that some of you could at least pick out one item. But we're going to start with, uh, I think I have seven things Uh, And this is dealing with the offering and and going forth and doing what God has said and laid forth in His Word in order that the offering is effective. The point behind doing this is to do it the right way so that it is correct. So the first thing that we read, and we'll read verse verse 3, is the, to have an effectual offering, that the offering had to be without blemish. Now, let's read verse 3. If his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. So, this actually meant that they would go to the flock and they would pick out one of the best rams or, you know, um, lambs or whatever it was. It wasn't to, to have any defect if, the, if it would, for example, if the animal would limp or they looked at the animal and they could see that something was, was wrong, it was partially deformed or whatever. They were not to pick that particular thing. It had to be without blemish or without defect. Now, of course, this all relates to Jesus Christ because he was an offering to the Father without spot, without blemish. He was the perfect offering. Now, how that relates here to us in our life is that you and I are not to offer God something that we don't want. For example, and I've seen this this happen in the church where someone, and, and with other people, other churches, they will give the church something that they don't want, they don't need, they could care less about, well, let's just give it to the church and I can use it as a donation. God does not want that type of offering, you see. It is to be something without spot, without, in other words, something that means something to you. When they went to the herd and picked uh, a a goat or a, a lamb, they picked the best That's what they were to do. The one that was the fattest. And they would bring that. So don't don't give God something that is second best. When he's calling for something from you personally as a Christian, don't give him something else. Don't give him second best. Give him that which is perfect without blemish, see. That which, when you look at, It's an offering. 
It's something that costs. Now in Samuel, turn to Samuel a minute. Second Samuel 24. Very familiar portion of scripture to a lot of you. Now, David goes to buy this threshing floor from this man. What's his name? Aruna. This man was a Jebusite, but he respected David, and he believed David was a man of God. And David goes to buy this threshing field from him, and Aruna says to him, I'm going to just give this to you, and you can do with it what you want. And David makes this statement here in chapter 24, verse 24. And the king said unto Aruna, Nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which cost me nothing. See, so this particular principle was in the heart of David that he was not going to offer the Lord something that didn't cost him something. And the interesting thing about this, that David buys the threshing floor from this, or threshing field from this man, and this is the place later on where Solomon's temple was built. I thought that was very significant. So God received that particular thing from the heart of David and built upon that later on. So don't offer God something that doesn't cost you something. And, and in my experience, the Lord will come and he will make sure that the offering, he gives you something to offer. And what he gives you to offer is going to be at a price. It, it will cost you something to give God what he wants. Be it your time, if money's an issue with you, then your money, um, Whatever it may be, something that you want to do, your will, whatever it may be, that can be offered to the Lord as a voluntary offering unto Him, which is a sweet-smelling savor, as this is a sweet savor offering, which means it's sweet and pleasant to God. He smells that thing, and it's something like, like you know, the smell of incense. It's very, very... Whatever would, would please you as far as something that you would smell, and you say, boy, I really like that smell. God loves the smell of this voluntary offering, the burnt offering. Now, the second thing is that it must be offered in God's chosen place. In verse 3 again, if his offering be a burnt uh, sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a meal without blemish. We just looked at that. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will uh, at the door. This is what I want to show you. At, we'll come back to that. At the door of the tabernacle. So this particular sacrifice here had to be given uh, to the Lord at the place of the Lord's choosing. See, today Christians will choose where they will offer. Now remember that this offering here deals with worship. See, the, the effectual offering from the heart, this free will offering, it deals with worship from the heart. That, that's, that's one of the main things moving here. So Christians will offer their burnt offering in the place that they choose and not where God chooses. So you have a, a Christian who will say, well, it doesn't make sense to me to pass up four different churches to go to this other church because I, I could go to any of these four churches. Yes, but where is the offering to be given for you? See, it is to be in God's ordained place. Now, I've been in this church for years. And at one point, I traveled from McKees Rocks, and that's quite a drive. And I passed three or four churches. I passed a, 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 a um, couple AG churches, you know, what have you. Churches I could have went to. But in my heart, I knew that I was to be here. So for me to offer an offering in another place 
is not acceptable unto God. Even though they were Christians there, I could fellowship with them. Um, I could go there and enjoy the services and be involved with praise and worship and what have you. But see, where is the offering? Where was it for me? It was at the door of the tabernacle or, or it was of God's choosing. Very important. So that puts the burden upon you, Christian, to know where you are to be as a Christian. Where are you to be? Because it's very, very, very critical because that will be the place where the offering will go up and it will be accepted because it's in God's chosen place, not what I choose. See, logic told me, why don't you go to this church or why don't you go to that church? But what is God communicating? What is he showing me in the inner man? Well, that's what I have to go by. And, and so uh, Christians today will, will reason. They will offer this offering and not understanding or realizing what's going on. But they will offer the offering in the place of their own choosing, which is, you know, not really an offering God's looking for. It's not the sweet savor he's looking for. So the third thing here I want to show you. Now these two in the, and the next two are still in verse 3. We must offer whatever it is that God uh, is ordaining or calling from us with the right motives. And, and I get that from verse 3 where it talks about offering with this, their, their own voluntary will. So that means that self-will has to be put aside. See, self-will and our own voluntary will offering God what He wants, where He wants it, has priority. You see that? So you can't move in self-will... And, and be offering this offering here with the voluntary will or the voluntary surrender to God in that that he wants. See, the two don't come together. They're, they're opposite. So if, if a person is moving in their self-will, then this will not be an effectual offering for them personally. There, there must be a surrender, there must be a coming down, there must be a moving under his will. Self-will must be moved out of the way. Now, the voluntariness gives um, this offering uh, the worship that God wants from it. This is a voluntary thing. That gives the worship. It's just like in there. Because sometimes it's not too easy to surrender our will to His. But if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you will know and you will understand to some degree how critical it is for, for our self-will, what we want, to be placed aside. You know, Jesus was our example. Jesus was the pattern. Nevertheless, Father, not my will but thine be done. See, that was a voluntary offering of himself, which was a sweet-smelling savor to God. So that pattern there is to be moving in the heart of a Christian so that when God is calling forth an offering, whatever that may be for you, for me, that, that in our heart are the right motives. We want to do this thing right for the right reason. So that that thing is, is coming out and it beca becomes that which is pleasing and acceptable in the sight of God, as we read in um, the New Testament. Now, the next one, I don't even know what I put up here. Let's see here. Oh, yeah, the correct objective. <laughs> okay, verse 3. Let's read it again. If his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. We looked at that. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will. We looked at that. And, and that he shall give it at the door of the tabernacle. We just looked at that at God's chosen place. Okay. Of the congregation. 
Now here's the objective right here, the, the very last part, the last three words of the verse here shows us the correct objective, and that is what? The last three words, somebody read them. See, before the Lord. See, the objective here is fulfilled by our obedience to what God is calling for. So he, he, he communicates somehow, some way to you, to your heart, so that you understand, okay, this is what I need to do. This is what the Lord wants for me. This is where I need to be, whatever that may, may entail for you. Okay, then once that happens, now you have the objective. The Lord sees your heart. What goes on from that point is before the Lord. Now, it can be before the Lord correctly, or it can be before the Lord incorrectly. In order for the offering to be effectual, it has to be before the Lord correctly. He's talking here about what they had to do with the offering. And now the whole objective here is seen and realized here by knowing that what is going on in your heart, what you're doing, what you're offering, that God sees. See, that, that puts all that in perspective. Now remember, this will show the direction of the heart. Remember, there is always, always, always direction of the heart. So as we're all here today, our hearts are moving, all of us, into, in some direction. Uh, be it toward the Lord right now, or toward something we have to do, or, you know, whatever it may be. But there's always direction in our heart. You know, you see people that will direct their heart toward um, something in the world. Some, you know, uh, physical thing that they want. See, that's a heart direction. We always have that. Always. It's always with us. But God will work in the Christian so that that direction there will be toward Him. So for the, for the offering to be effective, that direction of our heart is to be correct, and that is seen before the Lord. You see? You understanding? See, the Lord's watching all this. He's seeing all this. Okay, uh, you bring the offering in and, you know, you go through the process there, like we're going to see in a minute. And the Lord is, is watching the whole thing. See, don't think that God doesn't see your heart. Sometimes we don't understand that and we don't have a realization that God is, is watching. If we did, you know, we may do things differently than we do. Okay. The next one is identification. We talked about this last week, but let's read verse... Okay, let's read verse 4. And he, meaning the person who brings the offering, shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for, uh, for him to make atonement or a covering for sin for him. Uh, so there has to be this identification. And so the individual takes their hand and they lay it upon this innocent lamb who's going to die in their place. Now, this is an interesting thing. Your hand functions according to your will. So anything that you will to do, your hand is involved in that. So if you will to put on roofs, then your hands have to be involved in that. If you will to go to the mall, your hands are involved. You open the door, you close the door, you go out, you put the key in, you get in the car, you drive, your hand is involved. Everything that we do with our hands, believe this or not, I, this just came to me this morning. I, I was sitting there and I thought, Jesus, really? <laughs> oh, Lord. Your will is involved in that, or your hand's not going to do it. 
So now, when the individual lays his hand upon the lamb, his will is saying, along with God's will, that now this is going to be a sacrifice for me. Uh, they did that literally. They laid their hand on the animal, and then the priest took the animal, and then, you know, took care of it. For us, it's, it's really the same. We, spiritually speaking, laid hands on Jesus, and he became the offering who was, you know, given for us, his blood, his death. See, and we, we touched that, our will touched that, and we became believers, we became Christians. Now, after there is this surrender, then you have the next thing, mediation or priestly mediation. You cannot have priestly mediation before surrender. Uh, let me put it this way. Jesus died for the world. But in order for that to become effective for them, they have to surrender their life and their heart to Him. So when you surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ, at that point now, Him being the great high priest, there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, then that work He did becomes effective for you. See, it didn't become effective until there was surrender. So now you move into this area where the priest now can take the offering and do what he needs to do with it because of the surrender involved. So without the surrender, there is no mediation of the priest. Now, I just want to read this real quick. Um, these are some of the, the basic duties. Now, you would have taken it for credit. You, you, you can have a sheet here. I have it up. Um, Eric, you can pick it up later. Um, some of the priestly duties. This is a, a basic overview. We'll, we may touch this later on. I, I don't know. But what they did is after the person would, would uh, kill the, their offering, they would uh, catch the blood in a pan, some of the blood, and they would, would sprinkle it on the horns of the altar and on the side of the altar along, along the bases. And that's one, one thing. They would flay the animal. They would, they would skin it. They would... Um, they would cut it open, which we're going to look at in a minute, I hope. Uh, and the skin, it says, went to the priest. And then they, once they cut it open, they inspected the animal for any type of blemish or disease. If they saw a blemish or disease on the inside, even, it may look okay on the outside, but if they saw it on the inside, they would not receive that offering. They would put it aside, and that person would have to bring another one. Um, next, the priest prepared the altar. That's Leviticus 1.7. They would put the, the wood in order every day. Uh, they, would, they would make sure that the fire stayed lit all the time. And in Leviticus 6.13, it says that the fire burnt perpetually. The only time the fire was out was whenever they took that thing up and moved to another area. I believe, anyway, my understanding of it. Then they would wash the organs and the legs um, before placing the pieces on the altar. And then uh, they offered the washed pieces in the same order that they appeared in the animal's body. We'll look at that another time, I think. Uh, and after completing the sacrifices, they set, they set their priestly garments aside um, and they put on a different uh, attire, clothing, and they carried the ashes outside of the, the camp that was probably done in the evening, I'm not sure. Um, they would carry him outside of the camp and they would bury him in a clean place. And we'll probably look at that at another time also. But that's the basic function there of the priest in this particular setting with the offerings. So we're looking here at um, priestly mediation began after surrender. That's important. If you don't hear anything else, remember that. The mediation is going to begin after your surrender. See, your offering is not going to be uh, 
accepted by the Lord, offered up to Him without your surrender. So that's, that's very important, very important. Okay, and then the last one is in verse 9. Could uh, somebody read that, please? Chapter 1, verse 9. Anybody? Nice and loud. You want me to read it? Okay, I'll read it. No volunteers. You can talk. I'll let you talk. But his in, but I'll, I'll read it. But his inwards and his legs shall he wash in water, and the priest shall burn all on the altar to be a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet savor or a free, sweet fragrance uh, unto the Lord. So here you have the offering now being consumed by the fire that the priest had, had you know, lit there. And, and we'll probably, well, maybe we're not going to get to that, I don't know, but that, of course, speaks volumes. You know, if the thing is right, if the offering goes through the processes and it's, it becomes effective, now it's, it's consumed. It's, 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 taken, it's taken up. I think the word burnt offering uh, means ascending, like smoke. You know, when you burn something, smoke goes up. Well, this burnt offering... That, that, that those word, two words mean to ascend, meaning not just the smoke, not just what was offered, <laughs> but all that's involved there now, leading up to that, ascends now up to God. Now it becomes a sweet smell to Him. Now you can't have that sweet smell here without this whole thing being right. So, you know, our offering, if there's an offering, we don't have to mentally go through all this. All we need to do is have a surrendered heart to him and, and give to him what he's looking for freely, give it to him, and let him consume that. Then that becomes, uh, at, this, at this point, a sweet smell to him. But remember, the, the, there was a process involved there. Whether we're aware of it or not, um, all, all those things have to be, you know, moving, correct in our heart, at the right place, uh, the right uh, motives, etc. It's all, it's all there. You know, identification, it's all in there. So, um, okay. Now, Let's just back up before, before this could even occur. I'm kind of like going backwards, but that's okay. Before any of this could occur, something else had to take place. First of all, the sinner had to recognize that he was a sinner. And secondly, did I put that on here? Yeah. And secondly, he had to recognize his need for God. Now, dealing with the first thing here, that the sinner had to realize that he was a sinner. The Israelites, they had all these reminders. They had to take their offering, you know, take it in there, reminding them of their sin. They would see other people come bring their offering, reminder of sin. Um, they would see, uh, or actually they would, they would uh, smell the slaughter of the animals, a reminder of sin. They would smell the meat being burned, reminder of sin. Uh, they would see the priests daily, a reminder of sin. Um, they would see the priests take the ashes outside the camp, a reminder of their sin. They would see the cloud over the tabernacle, a reminder of their sin and the holy God, of course. So they had all these reminders there of their, of their sin, that, that they, that they ha had sinned, and that God was the one who had the remedy for their sin. All these things going on. Today... I'll speak of our country 
I've been to some other countries, but in particular, our country, there is a desensitization to sin. Now, I want to show you a couple of scriptures. Turn, turn to Galatians. I'm going to read one verse from Matthew. Let's turn to Galatians chapter 5. Matthew 13, and the, the setting for this scripture is that the, if the disciples say to Jesus, why are you speaking in parables? And, and Jesus said, for this people is wax gross and their ears are dull of hearing and their eyes they have closed. This is what I want you to hear. Lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Well, hear and, and see what? Well, hear and see their heart condition how that their, their heart has been dull of, of hearing and their heart has been dull of seeing because of the influence of the carnal or the world. Now, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, but now the works of the flesh are manifest. Now, the works of the flesh are only manifested really seen for what they are, seen moving, they're only seen by verse 18, or let's go back to verse 16, those that walk in the Spirit, and verse 18, those who are led by the Spirit. Those are the ones that really see the manifestation of the flesh. But he goes on, he says, but now the works of the flesh are manifested, adultery, fornication, lasciviousness. Verse 20, idolatry and witchcraft. Now this word, rich, witchcraft, is P H A R M E A K E I A. That's the, the, the Greek, the English spelling of the Greek word pharmakia. And as I look this up, there are three definitions here. Let me give this to you. The use or administering of drugs. Now, every single reference for this word and its root word in the New Testament all deals with a spiritual thing. We'll look at Revelation for a minute. It's all dealing with this spiritual thing moving, this word. So that we, we, we know what this means, you know, in the, the natural pharmacy. Probably what we get the word pharmacy. But this word in the New Testament deals with spiritual, that which is spiritual. Um, being spiritually drugged by the world system. Pharmakia. Another definition is poisoning. How society today is being poisoned. You know, um, just like when someone goes in the hospital and they're, they're, they're laying in the bed, and they have the IV uh, solution there, and they have a little you know, spot on the IV where they come, the nurses come, and they'll put the antibiotics, they'll put different drugs in there. Well, there, there is a lifeline from the IV bottle, the world system, that moves into those who are in the world, involved with that which is in the world. That's where their heart is, that's where where their view is, that's their bent in life, you know, the world. They're hooked up to this IV bottle, and an IV line runs to the world system. And it's pushing this poison into their, into their bloodstream. Remember, the life is in the blood. So you have this going down along throughout the entire, you know, the body. Everybody is, is affected. And then the third definition is where we see this thing uh, in the New Testament. It means um, magical arts or sorcery. It's, it's translated, it's only used two places in the Bible. Once here in Galatians, all the other uh, usages of the word and the root word are in Revelation. Um, it's, it's almost always translated sorcery. Here it's translated witchcraft in the King James. And, and in most of the other translations, like um, 
the Amplified, the New American Standard, they, they translate it as sorcery in, in um, Galatians here. But it's the same Greek word, regardless. Okay? And it's dealing with the deceptions or the seduction of the world system. Now go to Revelation 18. I want to show you the word again. And uh, I have to tie this up. I'm getting to something here, so stay with me. Revelation 18, verse 23. And the light of a candle shall uh, shine no more at all in these. This is talking about Babylon. Babylon uh, is a type of the world system. And the light here, or the candle, is talking about the gospel. Uh, and the voice of the bridegroom and the bride shall, shall be heard no more at all in thee. So the voice of the bridegroom and the bride in the world will no longer be heard. There will be a time when that, that will not be there anymore. The witness. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth. For by thy sorceries, that's the same word, pharmakia, drugged by the world system, were all nations deceived. Now go back to verse 3 here. For all nations have drunk of the wine uh, of, of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. Verse 18. And cried when they saw the smoke of her, this is Babylon or the world system, uh, saying, What city is like unto this great city? And they cast dust upon their heads and cried, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city we're in were made rich. All that had ships, all those in the world tied into this world system that, that were able to obtain the riches of this life. See, now they're cut off from that. Now the, the, the IV is pulled out. Now they, they are moving into withdrawal because they're not, this, this, this feeding from the world system now, they're all, oh, that which made us all rich, they're all upset, they're crying. Wherein were made rich all that had ships in the sea by reason of her costliness, for in one hour she is made desolate. So, in this, what I'm trying to show you is that man is drugged daily by a fix from the world called witchcraft and sorcery in the Bible that dilutes or deceives them completely. And we don't have time to go into verse 21, drunkenness, intoxication, there is a physical and a spiritual intoxication, you know. And it's talking about being spiritually intoxicated so that you don't know what's what. You can't even walk straight toward God. There's no, there's no walking straight. You can't. It's just total intoxication. So there's this desensitization of the world pointed to the Christian's heart. Now, we have to deal with this every single day to some degree or another. If you work outside of the home, you will have to deal with it. You will have to contend with it. You have to, uh, you know, hear the views of people who are intoxicated or who are drugged by the world system and don't even know it. So this is the point, that our society today, because of, of this pharmakia, spiritually being drugged, they are desensitized to their own sin. They don't even think that sin is sin. Some don't even believe it. And so, so you, you don't have the reminders. People today don't have the reminders that they had in the wilderness, 
you know, with the animals and all that. We think it's all, it's all gory, and of course, I don't think it's real pretty. But the point was that they could see daily what was going on. They could see that, that these things were in place because they were a sinner. Okay? They were a sinner. But today, you talk about sin, you preach about sin, and sometimes people, they get upset with you. You know, the Spirit of God brings forth something dealing with the heart of the individual that is sin, that needs to be taken and corrected, and the person wants to get rid, get rid of or get mad at the vessel that's bringing forth the Word of God that's telling them that they're a sinner. See, so, you know, church is a good thing. If, if there's good preaching in the church, you see. You go to some churches, and, and you don't have that. They're not willing to go over and say, listen, you need to have an IV tore out. Because you are locked into the world. Your desires are toward the world. Your desires are toward this or that or the other. And you are not offering before the Lord. See, that's why it's important to have, you know, solid teaching, you know, given by the Spirit of God to come to the heart so that the heart can see its wretchedness and not only see its wretchedness, but to turn to the one who can touch and change that heart. See, now we're moving to this other part where there is this need for God. Well, how do we find our need for God? Well, the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit convicting of sin. Let me read this from um, John 16, uh, 8. When he comes, meaning the Holy Spirit, he will convict or convict, convince the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. So, so the Spirit of God's the one that does that. Now let's go back to Leviticus 1. Still have a little bit of time here. You know, it, I, I read the Bible, and I, and I study the Bible, and the way the Lord has these things in here, it just amazes me. I mean, it just testifies to me the graciousness of God, the goodness of God, um, and, and the, the wonder, wonderness, the, the awesome, awesomeness of God. <laughs> it's just something else. Let, let's go to verse 9. We have to finish this. But his inwards, this is the picking of the animal, and his legs shall be washed in water, and the priest shall burn all on the altar to be a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet savor unto the Lord. Now, there were two parts of the animal here that needed to be washed. Okay, you have two parts of the animal that needed to be washed uh, by water. The first here... Uh, it says the inwards. This would be the, the inner part, uh, the center, the core of the animal. Uh, the inner part that was not seen, the inner part that could not be viewed. Now, if how, how many here have seen the inside of a sheep? Now, if I said deer, some of you would say, yeah. <laughs> some of you hunters. That's why I said sheep. <laughs> So if we, let's just picture there's a sheep right here. Okay, you're looking at the sheep, but you really don't know what is on the inside. I mean, you know there's a heart. Uh, you know there's a liver um, or a bladder. But, I mean, as far as the arrangement, what is really there, how it's there, where exactly in the animal is, you don't see that, do you? You wouldn't be able to see it. You don't see it until the animal is killed and until it's cut open and then it's exposed. Now you can see, oh yeah, this is the heart, but this is this part, this is that part. So it is with you and I, our inward man is not seen. 
you don't see it. The person next to you doesn't see it. They don't know, as I said before, the priest would open that up and he would inspect that. If anything was out of, out of the ordinary, if there was something was blemished, diseased or anything, that offering was reject, rejected. Nobody sees your inner man. What is going on there, what it looks like. But remember, there's going to be an offering. And the offering is going to die. And the offering is going to be cut open. And then the offering is going to be cut up. Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God, slain for your sin, for my sin. And his inners were opened up. And they have been being inspected now for 2,000 years. People have been inspecting his inner man, reading and seeing what was there. You understand what I'm saying? He was opened up, laid open. And now we see this characteristic and that characteristic all there inside. All there in order. All there offered to the Father for you. So that you someday would give your life for another, maybe not physically, but the inner man, remember, the inward, the inward parts is represented of the inner man. And now, because of the character of Christ in you that is seen, that helps another. That ministers to this person. That is an example to the other person. Now, your inner man is opened up and displayed as an offering. Whew, man, I'll tell you what. <laughs> Phenomenal. It's wonderful. The Word of God puts all these things in this book that nobody likes to read. That everybody thinks is boring and tough reading. Oh my, my, my. Okay, where are we here? Oh, the inwards. And I want to show you something real quick. Turn to um, Ephesians. I'll read a verse real quick from Corinthians 6.11. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So there is to be the washing of the inner parts, the inner man. See, and the Spirit of God will wash your inner man. Um, as it says in 1 John 1 9. You can look at that later. But in uh, Ephesians 5, I'm going to show you this same principle that we're seeing in um, Leviticus. We've read this, these three verses a hundred times. Most of you can quote either one or some or all of these verses or parts of them. But I want to show you here this, this burnt offering, this particular thing we're looking at in these verses. Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself. See, gave himself. That's the correct sacrifice that we talked about before. Next verse that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. There's the washing of the inner parts in Leviticus. Verse 27, that he might present it to himself. Well, there you have the mediation presented by Jesus Christ being the great high priest. 
That which we're reading back in Leviticus, seen not just in Hebrews. Hebrews is full of it, but there's other areas of the scriptures, for example, right here, that testify to the same thing from Leviticus. Exact same thing. The effectual offering. You know, some of the processes involved. Okay, the next part, and we'll have to close real quickly, would be uh, the other part of the, the um, animal that was washed were its legs. Now, legs uh, were used for, first of all, for support or strength. So, very quickly, it's dealing with our strength, our self-strength, uh, how we try to support ourselves rather than you know, allowing the Lord to strengthen us and be the support for our life. See, so, so all self-strength, all of that, has to be washed by the priest. The priest, Jesus, the high priest, has to wash away your self-strength. Washing the, the, the uh, legs. No more do you walk your own way. No more do you run away from God. No, that's washed. The legs are washed. So there's no more self-strength. There's no movement. There's no other direction for you now but Him. 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 So, the hard attitude has to be washed away if it's another direction. Okay, last verse, and then we'll close with this. Verse 13. <clears throat> but he shall wash the inwards and the legs with water, and this is what I like. Now, see, all the process uh, has, has taken place correctly, you see. Now the priest shall burn it all, and burn it upon the altar. It is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet savor unto the Lord. So there is this bringing, now the priest is going to bring it all. See, all self-strength, all self-confidence, all self-will. He's going to bring it all, and it's all going to be burnt on the altar as an offering. See, that's what God's working toward in our life. The all. And so, by His Spirit, He works in the Christian to do this very thing that they may offer an effectual offering unto Him. And let me say this in closing. You are not really serving God if you do not allow Him to wash you and purify you or purge you. You're not really serving God. So you're not going to bring an offering that it's, it's pleasing to Him if that's not occurring in your life. But remember, if we sin, we have Jesus. We can go to Him. He will meet that, meet the need there, and then we can, you know, move on. Rivers of living.